Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Trevor Hall here. Uh, happy to welcome back a, a returning guest. Uh, we had chatted with Gianni Kovacevic before regarding the overall copper market. That was a few months ago. That was before $4 copper. And what we did not get an opportunity to chat with with Gianni during that time really was the overall portfolio of his copper company that is copper bank copper bank trades on the csc with cbk and uh happy to welcome back johnny uh who is uh out uh out of out and about and uh welcome back my friend uh, how have you been this winter well bunkered in like everyone else focused on uh, our next uh strategic moves in copper bank uh the team is hard at work we have our third site visit at copper creek arizona starting on friday and uh, we're going to be delivering a lot of news to the market in the year 2021. Uh, just we, should we maybe provide an introduction to the company for the listeners, and then go into the conversation about uh, the overall copper market right now? Because like I mentioned, a lot's kind of changed since you and I spoke. So maybe we start with uh, the portfolio of Copper Bank and your U.S. assets first. It's a great idea, Trevor. And people should want to take an interest in at least knowing the basics of Copper Bank for a few different reasons. We are a group of owner-operator investors uh, supporting a large group of technical people on what we believe are two uh, high-quality, well-situated uh, copper development projects. Contact Copper, located in Elko County, Nevada, and uh, Copper Creek, located in Pinal County, Arizona. Both of them have historical economic studies over 300,000 meters of diamond core drilling has already been accomplished. It would take well in excess of $120 million to duplicate what's, um, what's occurred so far. And why is it interesting for people? Because anyone that knows uh, even the, the basics about uh, developing a, a copper project, it now takes 20 years at least from the first discovery hole until the decision uh, to, to go into production for a copper project. So it is ruinously expensive and very time consuming. Our projects are effectively at year 14 or 15. So in this cycle, we believe our team is going to be able to do the final um, answer those unanswered questions and provide uh, two development opportunities for companies larger than us. I am the custodian of these projects. I will not be building them. That's crystal clear. Uh, but we are now looking uh, who and how can we move them forward with? As a final teaser, because we're owner-operators, we have not issued cheap warrants, Trevor. We, all this bear market, we self-finance the strategy, and it's a very low-cost, low-holding-cost strategy. So we don't have to raise a mountain of money to maintain our properties. And more importantly, we own 100% of it. There's no joint ventures. There's no earning in. Um, it's every project has a, a, a large proportion of it is private property in the United States, over 10,000 acres of real property that we own to, to complement the projects. And you get a basket of opportunity. I talked about the two development projects, Trevor, but we also have three very exciting uh, blue sky uh, exploration opportunities within the portfolio. And we have an organic royalty company. If and when we move the portfolio forward, uh, we're going to keep that behind. That uh, the rare, but we can print a one or two percent royalty. We can actually spin that off as our what what we talk about 
is uh, providing a return to our shareholders outside of share price depreciation, which I'm talking about what many companies have. When you have all these different assets, it's not unreasonable to move one forward in a spin-out uh, scenario. So there's a lot to, lot to uncover there, but that should give people the reason why they would want to follow Copper Bank. And our market cap is still relatively low compared to the peer group for all these assets. We had a big move up after we closed our financing. Now we were trading at 32 Canadian cents, Trevor, and I announced a 35 cent no warrant financing. Not many juniors do that. And it, it beats with the strategy. And because of the consolidation, the move up in copper prices, the fact we didn't issue cheap warrants all the way during the bear market, our stock shot up to 82 cents. And now it's had a bit of a pullback and people can look at it in a, in a I think in a little, a little bit more of a, a sharpened angle here at the um, 58, 60 cents Canadian. I think I'm still a buyer. I filed again. I bought more stock at 64 cents. And it's something they should look at for, for many, many reasons. And I think hopefully we can touch on all of them. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned you buying at 64. I mean, if you look at the uh, SETI filings, uh, there's a lot of green of uh, positions that you have taken. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Uh, looking all the way back until mid to late November, there's literally only one date that there was any sort of sell order. The rest is you and your colleagues at Copper Bank buying up shares. So that's a strong sign, right? You want to see inside insider buying here. Seven pages, Trevor. You can go back five years, month after month. Uh, we... We're waiting for a normalized copper market, which we, anyone that's followed my work knows that it wasn't a question of if, it was a question of when. When would we get $3.50 a pound copper? That's go time for our strategy. Now, doesn't hurt that it's $4 or $4.50. Our sensitivities from the historical studies, they only go to $4, Trevor. You know, and if you look at those historical economic studies, the reason it's so interesting with the current copper price Every 25 cent move that copper goes higher is a $300 million net present value bump on a sensitivity scale for a portfolio. So when we go from, you know, 325 to $4 copper, it's real money, you know, and eventually you start to capture some of that. But we want to enhance that value. We want to optimize those historical economic studies and we want to drill. We are going to present what I think are going to be very captivating drilling um, proposals for this year for the portfolio and including some other blue sky exploration work that we want to present to the market. So it's a, uh, it should be a very news driven story as well. Yeah. I, I'm really glad you mentioned those studies because they were published in, I think it was 2013 I saw. So it's, it's probably time to revisit those and maybe, you know, cause a lot of things has changed other than just the copper price. A lot of things that go into those studies and provide those economic data points have changed. So you plan on going back and revisiting and re updating those studies? We do. There's, the projects are, are uniquely different. Uh, the bigger uh, elephant country porphyry is Copper Creek in Arizona, and it's right in the middle of the, of the famed Copper Corridor, and which was the largest producer of copper in the world until Chile surpassed it. And it's still, and I, will, I cannot suggest to, suggest to your listeners strong enough, this is still the number one jurisdiction for, for most major mining companies, if they could find a deposit of merit, of size, um, of future potential, they would like to put a lot of brain power, and I believe that's what they're looking for. So what, with the, the location of that project, uh, very well situated, 
workforce readily available, and all the infrastructure that you could think about for the copper mining industry is already there. Why is this important, Trevor? If you look at the projects that are being built right now, they're going to produce copper to the market. They're located Kazakhstan, Russia, the Andes, I'm talking about Chile, Chile and Peru, uh, and the Congo, Mongolia, and Serbia. These are projects that have gone through bankable feasibility study, and they are all owned by major mining companies, the ones that, that we know that are going to produce metal between now and the year 2025, 2026. Do you know that the average CapEx, and I have to I've, listen to the words very carefully because I don't want to confuse people, but there's a, there's a measure that we use, the CapEx per ton of production, which that number is now in excess of $20,000 per ton of production. So what that means, if that mine, if, that, if, the, if the bankable feasibility study in theory is going to produce 100,000 tons of copper metal, it now costs $2 billion per 100,000 tons of production capability. And these projects are not the big mother giants that we need. They're, they're 100 to 200,000, uh, in, in some cases up to 300,000 tons of metal yield per year. The average $2 billion for 100,000 tons of metal. In the future, it's even more expensive. And this is before cost inflation. Now that the copper price has risen and you know unions are gonna want higher wages and, and commodities are more expensive, it's not like you know as cheap as it was in the last three, four years. The future, it's even worse. It's gonna be about two and a half billion per 100,000 tons of copper metal yield. Why am I telling you this? Copper Creek, located in the Copper Corridor, I will challenge anyone to find a, a more cost-effective place to build a, a copper mill, sag mill complex anywhere in the world. It, it, maybe there's cheaper, but it's in that lower bracket. So what does it cost to build something that could put out 100,000 tons of metal per year? I'm talking just the sag mill and the, and the, ball, and the, compl the, the, the ball mill complex. 800 million, 700 million, 900 million? Well, that would tell you that it's going to be by a power of magnitude cheaper to do something in Arizona than all the other places we just talked about. So you can look at projects that have a higher strip ratio or maybe some different nuances where you have to pay for this, but the major mining company has to choose. Do I want to be at 4,000 meters in the Andes? Do I want to be a, in a place that does not have historical copper mining culture where you have to go and acclimate the, the local population? Or you need overwhelming security reinforcement to make that project work and you got to fly in a crew uh, for the next 30 or 40 years? Or do they want to go to historical mining camps like Australia, uh, Arizona, Nevada, British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec, and, and look at that? And, and we're not even speculating anymore. Our whole strategy was to hold projects that are well-situated, that had a, a ton of capital already spent on them because it's a risky business. We didn't want to take that additional risk. And they had to have the most important third attribute. Would a company larger than Copper Bank entertain the idea of moving these projects forward in a normalized copper environment. We check all three boxes, and that's how I believe that with my millions of shares, I'm going to make a fortune in a rising copper price environment with the Copper Bank strategy. John, we, we had a conversation with Sam Broom from Sprott last week in our long-form in-depth interview, and we talked about just, you know, the need for large tier world, tier one world-class copper projects to come online. We just don't necessarily have them yet. You could make the argument, maybe something like the T-McMatic complex could maybe provide that. There was something that Zijin has announced that they should be into production uh, by Q2 
of this year. Uh, there's a number of big porphyry projects that you mentioned down in the Chile-Peruvian border that um, large capex, but can they get financed and built and still hit while this market is still hot, while the cycle is still moving? But that really in the U.S., like it's it's it, it's it's difficult to find a tier one world class deposit, even in Arizona. So. What's the opportunity for disruptive business strategies to maybe instead of a deposit or project of magnitude, but maybe a jurisdiction of scale or or, or, or finding areas of growth, say, in such as Arizona or Nevada or maybe up into Canada when yeah. it comes to copper? Well, scale we have found. Unfortunately, it's low grade and the grades have have fallen, never mind just for what we knew discoveries, even in existing reserves of the 10 or 12 largest copper mining companies, the reserve profile has fallen precipitously. Everyone knows that. But we also spent a fortune looking for more copper in the last cycle. Unprecedented. And if you could just imagine, picture this in the theater of your mind, uh, a graph where the spending goes parabolic meaning a line goes from the bottom left to the upper right of your screen, the industry spent tens of billions of dollars, and then you have a bar graph on how much, how many discoveries did we find? Very little. The, the highest grade, biggest, world-class, you know, unique to itself deposit everyone should know is Robert Friedland's Kamoa complex. That's, that doesn't save the day. That's something that will, is being, going into production, they will expand it, it's very high grade, but it doesn't save the day because the, the CAGR growth rate for copper, Trevor, for the rest of this decade will be about 6% CAGR. That's a middle-of-the-road scenario. This is not even like a Greta hyper, hyperbolic green energy scenario. That's just the middle of the road. So the, the, the copper can be provided, but we have to be able to convert a resource into a reserve. And you simply cannot do that at $9,000 a ton copper because the grade is so low. In the oil and gas industry, if you had a cubic kilometer of formation, and if you look at how much oil can that industry extract out of that cubic kilometer today compared to 20 years ago, they reinvented the wheel with horizontal fracking. There has been no such reinventing of the wheel in copper. Everything is done at the margin, millimetrical progress that eventually will yield something. This innovation that they're looking at ore sorting, smarter trucks, um, they're, they say they'll be able to get 10% efficiency out of existing copper mines over the next 5, 10 years. Now, that's going to get offset by falling grade. So th the problem with copper mining is there's physically no copper in the rock. You're now down to less than one half of 1% copper concentration, and we already recover 92, 93, 91% of the copper out of the rock today. So even if, the, I mean, who cares? It doesn't change the game. And if you're mining in Chile, 25 million tons a year 15 years ago, Trevor, and your grade was 0.7 or 0.8, and now your grade is 0.4, you now have to mine 40 million tons of rock, same metal yield. You have to invest so much more capital to get there, and you have to invest so much more capital day after day for the next 10 or 20 years to be able to pay for that because there is no copper in the rock. So what we're looking at we understand that the, the, the industry 
doesn't shouldn't lose any sleep at night on the CAGR growth rate of copper. The demand will be strong. And then we know that because business is good, because people that buy copper making cables, motors, windings, transformers, they will keep buying it. So they will convert resources to reserves. But I believe that those 10 or 12 most important CEOs and board of directors are going to say, we need to go and look at things that are in our backyard because we can build something in Arizona far cheaper than we can elsewhere in the world. Who cares if it has a bit of strip ratio? Who cares if it has a few different attributes? The geology has to be there, of course, the, meta- the recoveries and everything. We, we, we acknowledge that. I'm not, I'm not sweeping that under the rug. But what I am trying to suggest to you is that they will take something that has a slightly higher strip ratio, knowing that they're going to be doing that for the next 30 years. But look at the grade, grade profile. If you look at the, the, the current grades of the Arizona mines, those, those big legacy mines, 0. 0.3, 0.35%, 0. 0.25% copper, it's, it's below 0.4. So if you look at the historical resource estimation at Copper Creek, this was put out in 2012 by IMC out of Tucson. It is historical. We don't consider this contemporary, but it was done to a 43-101 standard. So with that caveat... On the measured and indicated of that study, we have 500 million tons, and the copper equivalent grade is 0.49, Trevor. It's way higher than everything else in Arizona, or almost everything else in Arizona. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on nearer surface mineralization. It's at the intersection of the two great trends in Arizona. I'm talking about Copper Creek. And because of that, it is the highest concentration of breccia pipes anywhere in North America, over 400. They've only drill tested previous operators, 40 of the 400. So we're going to go and do a systematic uh, analysis and multi-phase drilling program to focus on the 300 to 500 meter depth, looking at uh, angular holes, looking at these breaches. And the, the strategy is that if we can bring in more resource, it'll lower the strip ratio of Copper Creek. Now, irrespective of finding any more resource, when you have $4 copper, it looks a lot different. The last time that study was done, they did it at 290 a pound copper. So if you do it now at a sensitivity that goes to 4 and 450, and we get a little bit of success in the drill bit, and there's one more sweetener. There are some byproduct credits that were not added to the deposit at the time. We're going to look at adding those in as well. So how can we increase block, block for block the value of, of a ton of ore at Copper Creek? But if you look at that, and you dilute it all down, we think there's a, there is a, a, a big differential of where our market cap is right now at about $40 million Canadian and where it, where it could be and where it once was. Historically speaking, in the year 2011, everything that we own, Trevor, would be, it had a market cap. It was trading on a stock market somewhere in the world, our portfolio. That'd be over $3 a share in, 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 in Copper Bank share structure. So if you're looking at it going from 55, 60 cents, is it possible that it could go to $3? Historically speaking, it was already there. So that's, I think, the main focus for our group. We cannot eat our shares. We're very highly motivated to monetize this strategy, but we're going to do it very carefully. And we're, we, the, the dollars that we spend have to be either to maintain the portfolio or highly accretive to increase the value of the portfolio. Again, we're talking to Gianni Kovacevic, who's the CEO of Copper Bank. They trade on the CSE with the symbol CBK. Uh, Gianni, before we uh, let you go, I do want to get kind of an overall uh, analysis of – well, we, are, we we talked a lot about the fundamentals of copper right now, but the last time you and I 
talked, I think we were closer to 350 a pound of copper than we were north of four. Uh, we have seen copper just really almost go parabolic. It's starting to come down here and consolidate. Um, this has got to be a healthy move. I'm just kind of curious when you saw copper really heading higher and higher the last couple weeks, did you have any like concern like maybe this was going too high too fast? Well, it did go too high too fast, but this is something that I would I always suggested it would happen because there's nobody wants to pay high copper prices. The fabricators around the world were only too happy that there was always people willing to take a negative bet on copper. And there was kind of like an unholy alliance that they worked together. Now that works until it doesn't work because what happens is these speculators that don't use copper, they don't fabricate anything. They, they're, it's greed, they hoard it. And that's exactly what happened. You had these people taking copper out of the system, which was already very tight, which was already undersupplied, and all the other people that actually use copper, business is pretty good. POs are coming in. They have to trip over themselves, over the speculator, and that's where the price of copper just went uh, parabolic. But we, it, it's coming off a little bit now, but that's, this is a week-by-week, month-by-month scenario. In the longer run, their, their businesses are going to do very well for the next five or ten years, and there will become a new normal the market can absorb it. They will not substitute to aluminum. We've already went through these things. Uh, imagine back in 2000 to 2005, they were terrified when copper went from 80 cents to $1.25 and then to two bucks. Miners and fabricators thought that, um, oh, people are going to substitute out of copper. They're going to use aluminum. No, didn't happen. Went to $4. And now we've paid about three and a half dollars a pound since about 2005 on average. And I believe that the, the, the price will go through its old all-time high. It's required. The miners will be able to then convert more resource into reserve, but be picky. Not just everywhere in the world. They're going to start picking where they want to be, and um, and consumers will be able to absorb that. It's not going to change too much. Whether you, whether copper's three fifty a pound or four seventy five a pound, people are still going to buy, and uh, an unfathomable amount of uh, motors, windings, and countless billions of kilometers of cable in every possible size. And this is a trend that you can follow for the next 10 years. But the real money will be made in the positioning as people now take profits on some of the I, I have four 10 baggers this year, Trevor, already myself. Uh, Copper Bank is now a three or four bagger. I believe from from its low for Copper Bank to be a 10 bagger is, is a plausible outcome. So going from 15 cents with the low it was in the dark days of the covid bear market for it to go to a buck 50. I think that's a realistic outcome. And that's only pays for the drilling that's occurred to date. We have $1.50 a share in paid expiration. $3 a share in the previous market market cap high. And um, I think people should not be too worried about it. But yes, copper could go back all the way back to 375 a pound right now. All right. Johnny, appreciate your time. And uh, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Always well-versed. And um, I know our listeners know know you fondly and know your work. And I look forward to catching up with you again here later this year and see all the developments that has come down to hit the tape from Copper Bank. Thank you, Trevor. We'll be in touch. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision.